today on CityCast Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh played host to a special election with statewide consequences. Voters everywhere got a new way to register to vote, and a bunch of former governors would love to open our primary elections even more. Lawmakers turn lobbyists are a recipe for corruption, and the Pennsylvania governor really wants you to text him. It's been a busy week. It's September 22nd, the Friday News Roundup. I'm Megan Harris, and here's what Pittsburgh is talking about. And with a repeat customer, Stephen Caruso of Spotlight PA. Stephen, how long have you been covering Pennsylvania politics now? Why do you have to ask me that question? Five years. (laughs) Five years. (laughs) Because I think it's fun. And a new voice to this show, but no stranger at all to Pittsburgh and Pennsylvania stories, Kim Lyons. It is really nice to be back on microphone with you. Thank you so much. It's great to be here. And in a new role now, I hear with the Pennsylvania Capital Star as editor-in-chief. Congratulations. Oh, thanks very much. Basically, it means I'm in charge of everything. And if there's anything wrong or screwed up on the site, it's probably my fault. So Yeah, that's the plight <laughs> of every leader everywhere. <laughs> um, yeah. Usually I throw in a bunch of icebreakers here, but y'all, it's been such a week. Um, and you suggested <laughs> amazing stuff. So let's dive right in. Um, first up, a very Pittsburgh story that had implications for the whole dang state. For the sixth time since January, Pennsylvania held a special election. And this one was centered on Pittsburgh and the 21st District in including Millvale, Reserve, and Shaler Townships. Of course, this one also swung control of the House back to Democrats. Kim, you want to let us know a little bit about our newest representative? Yeah, so she is uh, still unofficial. She's not going to be official until the Allegheny County Elections Division certifies the results on October 2nd. So just to get that out of the way. But it's Lindsay Powell. She was... um, had worked at various uh, roles uh, in political life around Pittsburgh. She worked for HUD. She was kind of a colleague of the outgoing representative, Sarah Ann Amarato. She very handily defeated Republican Eric Nartenreith. It was not really a surprise. I think less the outcome, more the margin was kind of what people were looking for here. It's a very heavily Democratic district. But as you said, it, it tilts the balance if these results hold, and it looks like they will. It tilts the balance of the state house back to Democrats. It was tied at 101-101 when uh, Inamorado resigned uh, to pursue her campaign for Allegheny County Executive. Um, but if uh, if all goes as it looks like it's going to, Democrats will once again have a one-vote lead in the House, making uh, life as fun and chaotic as it possibly can be for reporters who cover the state legislature. Well, and Stephen, you reported that this is the sixth time that we've had a special election like this, is there, why does this keep happening? Like, is there a better way we could be doing this? Or is this just a reflection of folks moving on in different ways? Um, I think there are some states that have replacements mid-session appointed by the governor. So that that might be the better way to avoid all these special elections that, uh, you know, because of the timelines. But yeah, I mean, but do look, we want that? I mean, look, that's the question I'll leave to smarter people than I. Uh, I, <laughs> I do think that, you know, why we've had so many is, you know, it's just been, yeah, people in office run for higher office. We had one death. We had one resignation for a sexual harassment scandal. And we've got another one coming, I think, in November. Um, somebody running unopposed over in Philly, uh, uh, who is going to get it. They're just waiting until the last minute to resign. 
Yes, John Galloway uh, out in Bucks County. So there will be one more special election, which same thing as a Democrat. So would lead to this whole rigmarole for the fourth time where everyone could say, well, Democrats will lose the majority and they have to earn it back. Uh, but if I'm not mistaken, uh, we've averaged, I think it was like four to five special elections every year for the past uh, like decade or so. Like we're having a few more than usual, but in a 253 member body, like there's often people who have higher ambition and there's often people who do something bad and resign or they're old and they get sick and they resign or they pass away in office like it just this is kind of a normal thing with a legislature as big as ours if we're being honest do you think that this majority such as it is for right now uh will change anything can anything move through in the next few months while we wait to see what happens with galloway's seat well it's a divided legislature right you've got democrats in control of the house you've got republicans in control of the senate it's, you know, kind a democratic of a, governor. a democratic governor who doesn't mind signing an executive order when the mood strikes him for pretty much <laughs> anything. Um, so, yeah, it's uh, maybe it's hard to say. I think they can have a lot of moral victories, you know, that we push for this thing, but the Demo- the Republicans wouldn't support it and vice versa. That I think it's no. to get anything done. Eh, you know, we'll have to see. I, I, I'm not super optimistic, but I mean, I never am about politics in Pennsylvania, I guess. <laughs> yeah, I, I I will say the House has passed a lot of their big ticket issues, even with a one vote majority from minimum wage That's increase, true. stricter gun yep. laws, uh, staffing standards for hospital nurses. So like, you know, they've moved stuff and then it goes to the Senate and the Senate doesn't do anything with it. So that's to say that, you know, I think this is something that everybody in Harrisburg is looking for is like, will the House and the Senate talk to each other? They still have to finish the budget. There's still a handful of unfinished pieces on that. Also, like funding for Pitt and Penn State. Like, there's a lot of stuff that needs to be done. That's kind of the central question is, are they going to get this? Like, like, are they going to build a working relationship together? Are we just going to be kind of stuck in neutral uh, with, with both chambers really not not able to talk and both chambers will give you their version of why the other side's to blame. But I can just tell you right now, not a lot's moving. And they're supposed to be back in session this coming week on Tuesday. Yes. Yeah. And I think, you know, Stephen's absolutely right. And and they need each other to be adversarial. I mean, that's how you drum up voters and that's how you get people riled up and want to vote for your team, right? Is you've got this, you know, common enemy, so to speak. So I, you know, it's not really in their interest to compromise and work with the other side. I hate to be so cynical. I mean, I'd love to see things get moved through and I'd love to see the balance of power, you know, result in compromise. But I just don't know that given how entrenched both parties are at the state level and the national level, it's hard to see why they would compromise. The show today is brought to you by an incredible local resource, AIDS Free Pittsburgh, and their pledge to end the HIV-AIDS epidemic in Allegheny County by 2030. If that is a cause that is close to your heart, make sure you're around for their biggest event of the summer, the sixth annual Too Hot for July. It is a party, but it is also a chance to get confidential HIV and STI testing for free, plus info on the incredible preventative medicines we have now to keep yins happy, healthy, and feeling your most confident out on the town. So come on out to Allegheny Commons East Park on Thursday, May 30th. 
Yes, July is in the name, but the event is in May. Don't get confused. May 30th from 4 to 10 p.m. There will be DJ sets, a health fair and marketplace, a ballroom inspired dance battle, cash bar, food trucks, and more. Plus a performance by Tony Award winner Alex Newell, a.k.a. Unique from Glee. This is all thanks to True Tea Pittsburgh and so many folks doing the good work out here in the community. So do not miss out. Learn more at TooHotForJuly.com. So that's how we voted. Uh, I figure we can turn now to how those votes are happening or folks want them to happen in the future. Earlier this week, Governor Josh Shapiro marked National Voter Registration Day in kind of a novel way by announcing a new motor voter law effective. It sounds like immediately, Kim, I saw you wrote about this. Do you want to give us the particulars? Yeah. So the state, you've always been able to go to PennDOT and register to vote if you wanted to under um, a law that's been in effect for some time. But it was the default was that you would have to opt in rather than opt out. Now you can go and you can, you know, you're by default going to be guided through the process to register to vote if you are eligible. And so it's it's another instance though of of kind of Shapiro taking hold of an issue that, you know, he sort of campaigned on that, that he wanted to make voter easier in the state. Um, but Republicans, of course, are pushing back, as they typically do when when uh, Shapiro takes a big swing like this and saying, you know, this is something that should have been done legislatively. Because it was another one of those executive orders like you were talking about. Right, exactly. So, I mean, he he went on national television to announce it and talk about this as his initiatives. I mean, Shapiro is very good at commanding the, you know, news cycle. He's very shrewd about how he times things and how he schedules. This was National Voter Registration Day. It's the perfect day to announce this. And people can still opt out. They can opt out if you don't want to do it. Um, you can say no. You don't have to register to vote. It's, there's certainly you no know, requirement. But I think making it easier for people, especially for people who maybe are voting for the first time and don't know where to register or people who you know, are new to the state, you know, have moved in, changed their residency and need to register to vote in Pennsylvania. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Stephen, what do you think? Do you think this is likely to affect turnout? Because just because people can vote doesn't mean they're actually going to show up to do it. Um, and also, what about PennDOT? Like, are they ready for this? Does it have a big change to their system? I think all the infrastructure is there. It's just there's this argument that basically creates universal or automatic voter registration. Like it kind of does. We have to interact with PennDOT. And like, you know, that's still, I think, a big <laughs> if maybe potentially for people. Uh, whether <laughs> I mean, how many, about interacting with PennDOT. <laughs> I mean, you know, how, how it's often... challenging. I'll, I'm happy to say that on microphone. It is a hard time interacting with PennDOT on a regular <laughs> basis. I don't know what it's like for the people who work there. It's definitely it's definitely a change. It will probably get more people involved, but also like, you know, they still have to go vote. They still have to get involved. Uh, being a registered voter means now all their information is available for political groups to now buy and send advertisements to uh, mailers and such. So that certainly changes their equation, too. So at the very minimum, it means more people might be getting mailers that they don't pay attention to. But, yeah, you know, mm. it's uh, I'm trying to withhold judgment, see what happens. But and the other thing, too, remember, with any executive action, it could be undone as soon as someone else comes yeah. in office, you know, and Republicans arguments about making it a law. I mean, you know, obviously Republicans control the General Assembly and they can say they support it or don't, but they never advanced anything on it. You know, I feel right. important to note that. But, you know, that's kind of the thing. This is an argument that's been in Harrisburg forever. I've written like I cannot tell you how many stories I've written <laughs> that come down to Wolf did something. Republican lawmakers say he should have passed a bill. And that that's just been that's been the dynamic. Oh, every administration says that, like somebody well, will pass right. an executive order and lawmakers will be like, that's it should exactly have been right. us. Governor does a thing. Legislature doesn't like it. Buttheads then move on to the next thing. Buttheads again. Yeah. What about the turnout question? Do you all think it'll make any substantive difference? I would be surprised, to be perfectly honest. I think that there's some some research that shows 
that it, it increases voter turnout in some states. Because 23 states, I think I read in both your stories, have yeah, something like right. this. Yes, it's quite a few states. But I also think we have to remember that in Pennsylvania, we still have closed primaries, right? We still, you can only vote in the primaries if you're registered with one of the parties. So that does affect how many people can actually vote, regardless of whether they want to or not. So I think that's another factor here that, yes, it might, people might be more inclined to think about voting, but if they actually do, or if they register as an independent, they're going to wait for general elections anyway, when a lot of times, a lot of the decision making has been taken out of the process for them. Yeah. And Kim, you very gracefully moved us along. Um, The most recent five former governors signed a letter this past week uh, saying that they support opening our primary system. Like you said, what Pennsylvania has is pretty rigid. Um, You have to be registered to a party to vote. The only parties that have elections are Republican and Democrat. So if you're an independent um, or registered to a third party, if you're unaffiliated, you're out. That's, I think, an estimated 1.3 million people for primaries, not general elections, but primaries. Uh, Stephen, what do you think? I feel like regular listeners to the show have heard me on my soapbox about this, but um, I don't know. What what are you seeing from Harrisburg about whether there's any chance this is going to gain traction anytime soon? Yeah, I, I mean, open primaries have moved in Harrisburg before. It's usually been like the the Senate would advance them. In particular, uh, the former president pro tempore, Joe Scarnati, he jumped on this in like 2019 after a very popular lawmaker in their caucus lost to a Republican, like a conservative challenger, um, actually from Pittsburgh, Randy Volokovich. That's the trivia question for your listeners. Um, so that moved out of the Senate and then it got to the House and the House Republicans typically said no. Uh, House Republicans would usually use a line, something to the effect of, well, you don't let the Ravens draft the Steelers players or insert whatever your traditional <laughs> sports rivalry is. Um, Democrats now control the House. Scott Conklin, the chair of the committee this bill would go to open primaries, has, I think, been supportive uh, of these pushes. Uh, I think in general, like there's less of a just knee jerk. No. Uh, now that we kind of have divided government, everyone can kind of fit their own and like has their own reason for maybe supporting it. Uh, in general, establishment Harrisburg, I think, wants to see more centristy folks that independent voters might support to try and get things done. Now, you know, if that's getting things done that help everyday people versus getting things done that, you know, people who maybe know the system and want to work within the system, those are two separate questions. But yeah. I mean, overall, I think that open primaries, I kind of added to the bucket of maybe reform can get done because there's this tension of a split government. It seems to me like it shuts off a lot of people out on the whole idea of, you know, letting the, the Ravens draft Steelers players or whatever the metaphor we're going to use. You know, I think you're, you're talking to people who are going to vote that way anyway in the general. I, you know, elections are so polarized. So I think less is about the whether it would, would change turnout. I think more it would help reduce polarization, would let more people have a say in who ends up in the general election. You know, that yeah. that to me seems like is a really strong argument in favor. Frankly, I don't think anybody cares what the last five most recent governors think. They didn't they didn't do anything about this <laughs> while they were in office. So who cares what they think now? Like they don't have any really any influence other than a, you know, sternly worded letter that has Which is know, exactly what they said. Yeah. Which is exactly <laughs> what they said. So I mean I think I think that's one It's more, big dad energy. It's very big dad energy. I think it's a way for advocates of open primaries to sort of keep this issue alive. Look at this. You know, even your former governors think this is a good thing. So I just don't know that that's going to have any kind of you know real 
weight toward moving one way or the other. Totally. Um, and then one last note uh, from us about folks still in office. Governor Josh Shapiro wants us to text him now. His number, if you're interested, is 717-788-8990. And anything you send or receive is going to be ferried through an app. Uh, it's called Community. That's a capital C. Kim, I love how your story immediately threw shade on this thing not being available on Android. Are you, in fact, a sad green bubble person? I am not a sad green bubble. I have both an Android and a iPhone. So I have, <laughs> have two way phones. too many phones. I have three phones, Megan, but we're not going to talk about that today because that's a whole other problem <laughs> with me personally. Hmm. However, uh, I do think that's a little bit of a drawback. Uh, you know, you can still use the community app if you have an Android phone. You have to use the web browser as you would on, on a desktop or laptop computer. Yeah. I think the other, my concern is I was, you know, I, I in my previous life, I was a reporter at the tech site, The Verge. And every time something like this, a new app or a new thing was announced, it sounded cool and fun and all the kids are using it. Their immediate reaction was, what are the privacy rules? What is the, what yeah. are you giving up in order to get this cool thing? So I kind of went through communities in terms of service and their privacy. It all seemed pretty standard. It all seemed like kind of the stuff you give up anytime you use a third party app. My question is, I don't know that this has been tested yet and something I'd like to maybe find out for a future story is, you know, if something happens and like a reporter wants to FOIA a communication that happens over community between the governor and a constituent, is that open to public records? Or is this is a private company that doesn't have to give you that information? Like, I, I think that's still a murky area when politicians are using third party apps. We've seen some, you know, legislation. We've seen some arguments about can you block, you know, constituents on Twitter? You're a public official. You owe them your accessibility. So I think things like that are still being figured out. But I'm always wary of giving any third party app information unless I know what they're doing with it. Have either of y'all tried it? Tried yes. to text him yet? I did. Uh, I did just to <laughs> ask him for any leaks. Uh, this is a bit for anyone. <laughs> did who doesn't. he respond? I, the only response I got was asking for more data to, I think, continue you. So I think Kim is co completely correct, too. It's not only can it be right to knowable, but this also very much seems like the I mean, the governor's office has been very clear in how they're trying to work with people. They want a lot of info so they can really connect with voters. And I'm going to say that as both for the constituents who might be voters as well. I think like like you see this in their use of influencers to try and push their uh, governmental official side messaging out. We've seen this. And a lot of social media. Yeah. Uh, Shapiro's Instagram presence and TikTok thing is like different. It's a it hits different. He's always appearing yeah. in national media. He's crossing the state constantly. Like like it's to me, it makes sense as part of a broad strategy for him to make sure that he is as ever present as the governor yeah. of a swing state can be in someone's life. And, and, and to be clear, like I got a text message from after I went through the process of uh, where it said like, hey, I did this automatic voter registration thing. Tell me about the last time you voted. Like, you know, so I think it, I, I'm, I'm curious, too. Like, I find it hard to believe they won't that somebody probably didn't flag that like, hey, this is a reporter's number. Maybe right. I'm being self-centered here, but like, <laughs> I just, I'm kind of aware of like what I might get could be very different what they send other people. They seem like they're smart folks in the administration. But yeah, I did, yeah. I did send a text. Um, and I, I will say too, the only thing I can think of when it comes to right to know is I do believe there might be blanket protection for constituent communications within the right yeah. to know law, which could maybe get in the way of this, but also that could be only for the legislature because our right to know law is more special for how they treat the legislature's communications than they treat the governor or anyone else. But I did try it. I, I haven't gotten a leak back. I guess the governor really didn't want to talk to me. I'm so sad. 
you know, I, it, I think it's it's interesting that he did it after the governor of New Jersey had already done it. Maybe we're you know kind of following hmm. the footsteps. And this isn't like a brand new app, right? It's been around for a while. Biden has used it. Obama used it. A lot of celebrities and influencers use it. The Penguins use yeah. it. You know, they use it to kind of do like promotional stuff, updates to games and stuff like that. But I not did the check, flyers, as he's not the flyers. Checked. I checked. <laughs> flyers and gritty were not on there yet, as of the when I wrote that article. Maybe they are now. How can gritty not be on there? How can Gritty not be on there? I'm saying. I mean, of all... I feel like Gritty should be on Cameo. Oh, can I, you I'd put out good money for that. Penguins fans would really enjoy that. We could make <laughs> Gritty do things. <laughs> <laughs> and one more item to bring us home. Steven just dropped a piece about former lawmakers taking their talents, knowledge, connections, um, and using it to lobby their former co-workers for various causes. You want to give us a few Western Pennsylvania examples? Sure. Uh, and I should say, this is the revolving door. It's not just a Harrisburg problem. It happens in all governments. It happens federally. It just It's just a thing. Uh, but yeah, so like, for instance, um, Paul Costa, who you may remember as the lawmaker that Summer Lee beat in the 2018 primary, uh, he, after losing, got a lobbying job for a lobby firm that's now known as One Plus Strategies. Uh, and he lobbies the General Assembly along with some top Republican lawmakers who recently retired. So he works there. You know, you also Allison Beam. Uh, I don't believe she's from Western Pennsylvania, but she was the secretary of health for a little bit under Tom Wolf. She was hired in-house to be UPMC's lobbyist uh, in 2022. So she's been lobbying the General Assembly after, I, I mean, just the entire administration after having this really key high position. So, you know, yeah. uh, th- there are lots of examples of this. Uh, it's most certainly not just the Pittsburgh problem, but those are some some of the highlights. And there's a bill moving in the Senate to try and at least add an extra year to make people wait. But even then, like, yeah, because right now it's a year between when you hold an office to when you can go do this lobbying stuff, which if you're not familiar is like a fancy term for asking for stuff to advance someone's cause. Exactly. But even then, what I should say is that it's the, the year gap is is only if I'm a member of the House, I after I leave office cannot talk to other House lawmakers as a lobbyist for a year. But I can go talk to the Senate. I can go talk to the governor. I can go talk to agencies. I can talk to everyone else. I just cannot talk to the House. And trust me, House lawmakers still know people in the Senate and Senate lawmakers still know people in the House. So like it would add an extra year, which is certainly a change. Some people have suggested as much as five, six years, six years of what Florida has. Uh, But, you know, there's still also this problem of if you retire, you still could just go talk to people who weren't your direct colleagues, but you definitely worked with. So even then, it's added, the, the bill would add a year, but I would still argue that like there's a lot of loopholes because of how strictly we define your former workplace that, that restricts who you talk to. Yeah, no, I think this is, Stephen's exactly right. It's a really well-reported article that he put together. And I think it's it shines light on a problem that, uh, you know, I think people are sort of kind of aware of, but don't really understand how deeply the tentacles of lobbying reach into government and how much influence lobbyists have even at the state level, especially as someone you know, you somebody you used to work with, of course, you're going to give them 15 minutes for a meeting. Why not? And then you've opened the door and the door is now open for anyone else who wants to come in. So I, I think, you know, ideally, there would be no, there would be restriction on if you hold public office, you can never be a lobbyist. But you know, people have to work, I guess, and put food on the table. So Ooh, that is some pie in the sky stuff. I know, I know. But I felt like I've been so cynical through this whole thing. Like, oh, nothing's ever going to change. I had to offer like a little crumb of hope at the end. I mean, that won't change either, but no. it's a nice thought. I'm, I'm going to cling to that as I get through the rest of this day. Kim, Stephen, thank you both so much for making time for us on a Friday. No, oh, you bet. Thank you for having us.
That's all for today here on CityCast Pittsburgh. Our music is by Benji. Production this week from Mallory Folk, Sophia Lowe, Lizzie Goldsmith, and A.K. Almoman. Francesca DeBecco writes our fantastic Hey Pittsburgh newsletter. You should definitely subscribe. With editing help this week from Natalia Aldana. I'm your host, Megan Harris. We'll be back on Monday with more news from around the city. Have a great weekend, everyone. I think, though, that seeing Stephen Caruso's return number come up on your phone for any politician will strike fear in their hearts. So maybe he saw that and he's like, this, I don't want to mess with this guy. Hmm. You know him. Hmm. Yeah, seriously. I'm scared whenever you... I see a text from Stephen. <laughs> I don't think you have to, Kim. Don't worry. Okay. You're not, you're not, you're on my, uh, you're not on my list. <laughs>